You're listening to Don't Waste Water. This is water's moment. For far too long, people have been focused on greenhouse gas emissions and carbon tracking, but 90% of the impacts of climate change are water. This is water's moment, and there is an emerging market for water data. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I would simply say we live in a world where there's constant innovation. And for those people who say we don't need new innovation, I say then get out of the way <laughs> because we live in a world where there will be innovation. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome Kimberly Nelson as my guest. We are just at the beginning of people starting to appreciate and understand the importance of this kind of information and intelligence to create the insights for them. I think there's a lot of room to go in the future in terms of people embracing these capabilities. Some of them I'm not even sure that these capabilities are real today. Kimberly is Chief Operating Officer at True Elements. By taking vast amounts of data using state-of-the-art technology, visualizing it, making it easier to understand, that means we're giving decision makers, whether in business, in government, in nonprofits, the insights they need to make the best possible decisions to protect and preserve water resources around the world. True Elements leverages a scientific and AI lens to multiple layers of watershed data to provide water intelligence that clarifies water and watershed complexity to help leaders make accurate and effective decisions. I'm pretty sure nobody ever noticed a butterfly effect in real life. Changing a little parameter somewhere, which leads to unexpected consequences at a total other end of the system, might probably happen on a daily basis. But first, as I said, you'd have to notice, and second, to understand that the effect you're seeing is, in fact, linked to the tiny change somewhere else. We can accept that as a fact and try to master our silos to the best of our abilities, or we can see the continuous advancements in artificial intelligence as the missing link that finally enables us to get more holistic in the comprehension of our systems. For instance, what if super tiny levels of certain components in drinking water had micro consequences, positive or negative, on human health? And I'm not giving you this one totally by coincidence, but more to that next week. What if private work sites on a section of the watershed had tremendous consequences on the water risk downstream? What used to be conjectures drawn on a napkin now become data trends you can spot and link in the era of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Not chat GPT or mid-journey style, but soft sensor and data crunching style. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while first, thanks a lot. Great choice. I appreciate. Then you might recall a topic that we've quite extensively covered on this microphone. So what's different today with True Elements? I let Kim explain in great detail in just a minute, but I'd say it's a matter of scale. We've seen in the past how modeling, machine learning or AI can help within a plant, an industrial site or a city with use cases all across the board. Well, True Elements introduces the watershed as one of the many levels where they intend to create value. So let's cut to the chase and let's dive into that said water intelligence just after reminding you that if you like what you hear, please take this episode and share it with a colleague, a friend, your boss or your team and I'll meet you on the other side. Sorry to interrupt again, this short host read to tell you that this could be your ad if we were to team up and become partners. 
Get your brand in front of an audience in 146 countries with the US, UK and Canada as the top three by the numbers on a podcast channel that's been repeatedly sustainability number one in Israel, Singapore and the Baltics, in the top 10 in France and the Nordics and almost continuously in the top 50 in the US, UK or Australia. Want to explore partnership options? Then reach out to Antoine at dww.show. The link is in the description and onto the podcast. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Antoine. It's a pleasure to be here. Maybe we have to give a bit of background here. We have a very scenic backdrop behind us. Can you tell me what's the link between your company and Waterkeepers, which is very, very gentle to lend us their headquarters for that interview? Yes, we are very fortunate to be in this lovely location. Waterkeeper Alliance is a global organization with over 300 chapters around the world on all continents. And uh, their goal is to um, bring together volunteers to help uh, protect and preserve the local water bodies in their community. Could be a river, could be a bay, could be a lake. You'll find around the world local waterkeeper chapters. Sometimes they're called bay keepers, river keepers, but uh, yeah, millions of volunteers around the world. What's the link to True Elements? So the link to True Elements is we are in a strategic partnership with Waterkeeper Alliance. We announced that in the spring, actually about a week or two before the UN Water Week that was here in New York City. And through that global partnership with Waterkeeper Alliance, we're working with one of their local chapters to use our data to better inform the local volunteers. And then simultaneously, as they collect data, they do sampling, they'll add their data to our our system. We'll get a bit more in the details of what True Elements actually does, but I'd like to understand your path first. When I looked it up, I don't want to be the bad behaved European here, (laughs) but you have quite a career behind you and you've been at the intersection of IT and environment. And I would say even long before all of that was even a thing. Yes. What's the big learning you had along that journey and what is the red thread along that journey? Yeah, so um, I have been very, very fortunate in my career. I started out uh, in state government in Pennsylvania, just south of where we are here, and spent 14 years in the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection. And in the early part of that career, I had the good fortune of working with some managers who wanted better information for managing the agency. How did we know if we were making an impact on the environment? We're spending billions of dollars in taxpayer dollars. Were we making a difference? That was way back, actually, before my first daughter was born, and she's 33. I started working on how do we collect the right information to understand whether we're making the impact we want. Did that for many years at Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection. Because of some of the groundbreaking work we actually did at at Pennsylvania DEP, I was recruited to go to EPA and to take an assistant administrator position at EPA for the Office of Environmental Information. Again, that common thread, right, environmental information, and spent five years there trying to make good information available to the public in terms of what we were doing at the federal level protecting the environment. From there, I went to Microsoft for 16 years. It was a great job, fabulous job. It was sort of a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I worked with government leaders there on digital transformation. But I never had the opportunity to really drill deep on environmental issues there. And um, I knew three of the co-founders for True Elements. I've been following their career and some of the other work they did. And a couple of years ago, as they launched this company, True Elements, which is a water intelligence company, they shared with me what they were doing. And it just so resonated with me, given my early environmental experience. A year and a half ago, I decided to make the leap and 
leave a great company like Microsoft to become chief operating officer for True Elements and to help get this company off the ground and introduce the concept of water intelligence to people. Actually, you say take the leap, but it really is because you've been working on the administrative part of things. You've been working on, on a very big group like Microsoft, which yes. is one of the largest in the world. And now you're in, in a startup. Yes. How different is it and how much of a clash of culture is it for you? Oh, you know, it's almost like night and day at times. So you know, <laughs> leaving Microsoft with 160,000 people and all the resources at your disposal, the big name of Microsoft, and going to a, a brand new company. A company a year and a half ago, almost no one ever heard of. And, you know, about a dozen people. So you can just imagine. But I will tell you, the thing that is fascinating is this issue of water has become so important. And getting water data and information and intelligence and insights into the hands of right people, even this little tiny company, we are able to get in and have conversations with some of the biggest companies in the world. You tease now the term of water intelligence a couple of times. I think it's yes. time we define it. What is water yeah. intelligence? Yeah, that's a really, really good question because if you looked it up, you probably would not find a definition for water intelligence anywhere. And I really think we're the ones making that possible. So water intelligence is really a, a unique combination of using state-of-the-art technology, scientific analysis, artificial intelligence and machine learning, so state-of-the-art tools, combining those with lots of data. And by lots of data, I mean we aggregate data from many, many, many different data sources. We normalize that data because when you bring data together from different sources, you have to normalize it. We process that data and then we make it visually appealing to people so that you can see the information in a geospatial format, so that you can see the information and it's easier to understand. And by that, I mean scores like 70 to 100, red, yellow, green. And by doing this, by taking vast amounts of data, using state-of-the-art technology, visualizing it, making it easier to understand, that means we're giving decision makers, whether in business, in government, in nonprofits, the insights they need to make the best possible decisions to protect and preserve water resources around the world. What is the status quo? What is that replacing? We live in a world of what I would call, it's a, it's a tale of two data worlds. On one hand, you have a situation where there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of different data sets available. From the federal government alone here in the United States, there are about 30 federal agencies that have water data scattered among the federal government. Within those agencies, there are close to 60 different information systems that have that data and over 550 different data types, okay? So can you imagine being a single individual and you had a job to do? How would you ever go and find all that data, bring it all together, and then try to make sense out of it because it's really apples and oranges and peaches and pears, right? I mean, there are no data standards. So it's almost impossible in that sense. That's the status quo today. If people want good water information, they have to go to many, many different places to get it. That's hard. The other thing they might do is maybe they'll just go to one place and say, oh, there's an organization out there and they have, they have a system and we're gonna, we'll go there and use that, that, that data. Well, it's a little bit about like touching just one part of an elephant, if you will, you know? Sometimes just getting one perspective is not giving you the full picture of what's happening out there. 
So the status quo today is people are either overwhelmed, there's way, 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 way too much data, or they may go to one system and get one perspective. But that perspective may not always be the most accurate perspective. So you're trying to consolidate that data. Yes. And I'd like to go into the depth of that in a minute. But before that, I'd like to define your playground. Where mm -hmm. do you act? Is it the watershed? Is it yes. a community? Is it a building? What excellent, is the typical? Excellent question. We can drill down from a very high level and get to a very discreet level. Within the United States, for instance, we can provide information at what we call the hydrologic unit code 12, HUC 12 level. Right, that's about a four to five Ks perimeter or mm -hmm. square area, right? And all the information we would provide at the watershed level, we can then build up and build up at a higher level, at a basin level. But people generally need information at a much more discrete level. To be really useful, you have to get more and more granular. For instance, one of the things we're doing right now is, yes, we have information at the HUC 12 level, watershed level, but now we're starting to do information at the stream reach level getting much more discrete. And the difference is there are 83,000 Huck 12s in the United States today. We're starting to do analysis at the stream reach level and there's 2.7 million stream reaches in the United States that we're doing analysis for. So that gives you a sense of how discrete we're starting to get to look at water stress and to understand what's happening in much more specific geographic locations. You mentioned the dozens of different sets of data out there which yes. are describing that nature. Is that your main source of information you consolidate or do you have additional ones? That is generally the main source of information that we, we use. The federal data sets, the government data sets, some data sets from nonprofits that are made publicly available. But what we can also do, now keep in mind, it's more than just making data available, right? What we do then is we have our unique algorithms that we put on top of all this data to do things like create scores and to do forecasting and predictions. It's more than just putting all the data sets in one place. But yes, they, those data sets are our primary base for, for the work that we do. However, as we start to work with organizations, for instance, here working with Waterkeeper Alliance, we can take data sets from individual customers, companies, organizations that they may have and incorporate that as well. And we can blend that in with our data so that we can still apply our algorithms to it and our forecasting to it with the data they have. Still on these data sets, and then I'll leave you alone with that. <laughs> <laughs> I have two questions. The first is, how exhaustive is that data? Because last year on that microphone, I discussed with Nick Shufro from the FREMA, so... Federal Fem Emergency Management Agency, yes, outstanding. And he was explaining how, if you think about the United States and all of our territories and Alaska and Hawaii, we have about 3 million miles of waterways, coastal, river, lakefront. We are going to map all of those coastal and riverine areas. We currently map about a million miles, and those are really focused on densely populated areas. And what we're trying to do is trying to give people an idea of where there's risk. How do you deal with fragmented information and non-exhaustive yeah. pieces of data? We live in a tale of two data worlds, right? One is too much data. The other side of that is we don't have nearly enough data for just as one of the reasons you described. Many of the data sets that are available out there are fragmented or incomplete. The other side of it is we don't have nearly enough real-time data. 
We bring data in from 1.5 million sensors in the United States. Some belong to NOAA, some belong to USGS, but that's not nearly enough. Because when you look at the data sets we have, even if they're complete, they may only get updated once a year. They may only get updated every six months. Maybe they get updated six months after an event. So we really need to get to a point where we have more real-time data from sensors that are out there. And as sensors get cheaper, less, much, much less expensive, the technology evolves and the ability to connect directly to the internet through IoT like devices, that's the world we want to be in. My second question on the data set, and then I promise you I stop <laughs> with that. How private is that information? Are you yeah. able as a private company mm -hmm. to play around with it or are there some rules yeah. and some walls you cannot? The data sets that come, for instance, from the federal government are all publicly available data sets. Mm -hmm. They've been anonymized and we can do anything we want with those. As we start blending data from our customers, we always ask them that question, that this is your data and you're in charge of that data. If you want to make that data publicly available, for instance, we have the capability to provide a direct link into EPA's water quality exchange. So we we can provide the data to the EPA and they can use it and they can make it public as well, or we can make it public. But we always give our strategic partners the choice whether as they're collecting data, they want to make that public or not. So now you have the best possible set of data. And mm -hmm. I guess that's where True Elements magic mm -hmm. starts. So what's the first step? Yeah. What do you do on that data and how do you extrapolate based on that data? Yeah. I don't think we'll ever be at the point where we have the best possible set of data. <laughs> that, would, that would be a dream. I'm not sure we're ever going to be there. The, the point is we have to use what we have and it might not be the best um, today and then a year from now might not be the best or two years from now. But the fact of the matter is it's all we have. So that's what we have to do. So to your point is one of the things we do is we collect all the data and then we identify where there might be gaps or holes in that data. So data cleaning. Yeah, through all the cleaning process. And so this is a little bit where some of the magic comes in, where things like artificial intelligence come in, where you can sort of impute certain values. If you know certain things and there might be a data gap, you can say, hmm, based on everything we know, we might put a value in there that's equal to this. We'll do things like that. With our sensors and with some of our scoring, for instance, we don't have sensors every place we want to have sensors. So we can create something we call faux sensors, artificial sensors. And what we do with those artificial sensors is say, hmm, it'd be nice if there were a sensor here. There's not. So why don't we look at all the data that we know that currently exists in that particular location and compute what we think the score would be based on everything we know, even though there's not a real sensor there that's taking measures. We'll do things like that. And that's that's where some of the magic comes in. That's where some of our unique capabilities come in, our, our intellectual property. That's one thing we do. Are you using modeling as well? And if yes, does it come before or after the AI step? We have our own algorithms and models that we use to create uh, the information that we're presenting, the scores and the predictions. If we look at a watershed, we'll provide all the information somebody we have about that particular watershed. What kind of industrial facilities are there? What kind of wastewater facilities? What's happening from an agriculture perspective in terms of crops that are planted and things like that, stormwater, any real life sensors that are there. So we'll provide additional information about what do we know about other facilities in the area? Like are there Superfund sites? Are there sites that have 
have uh, indicated there's some PFAS contamination there. So lots of information about the watershed. But then some of the modeling and forecasting comes in when, for instance, if we want to look to what the future might hold for that watershed. Right now, we might put a score of water quality on, on that particular watershed of maybe an 89. But as we look to the future, we bring weather data in and we start doing some predictions and models about what might happen in that watershed, we might put a different score on it because maybe an extreme weather event's going to happen. That would result in a lot of runoff, stormwater runoff, agriculture runoff, more phosphorus, more nitrogen that might degrade the quality of the watershed. So yes, we do that kind of unique modeling. You mentioned the 1.3, 1.5 million sensors. How much was it? There are 1.5 million sensors 1. that we 5 use today. Sensors. Yes. With your software sensors, artificial sensors, or whatever we want to call them, what's your lever effect? How many can you create? Yeah. How many nodes can you add in the system? The 1.5 million sensors that are out there today that we're using, the data that we're collecting from those sensors, they're not our sensors. They're, they belong to the federal government, either the US Geologic Survey or NOAA. We'll collect the data from as many sensors that are out there. Some private companies put their own sensors out there for their own property. And so when we work with them, we'll bring their data in as well. But I think the sky's the limit when it comes to the potential number of sensors out that could be placed out there. Let's use an example. We have the East River, yeah. if my geography of New York is right, uh -huh. just behind us. Probably it has some turbidity sensors, COD sensors along the way, which are placed mm -hmm. by, by federal agencies. You could say, oh, just under the Harlem Bridge, I want to know what's the TDS level. And yeah. then you would put a soft sensor here. And then based on the real sensor, placed left and right, plus meteorological conditions, plus what you would know about maybe another wastewater mm -hmm. stream sensor of the, the network of mm -hmm. New York, you could then calculate that. So that's what we're discussing here, yes, right? Yes, that is exactly correct, yes. Yeah. Coming back to, to, to what Trillimans does, so you have data, you clean the data, you bring that AI modeling mm -hmm. layer yes. on it. Now you have a full, even expanded data set, yes. but you need to bring it in a shape so that people understand it. Yes. How do you do that? That's part of the magic is first putting it all in a, a geospatial visualization tool so that people can look and zero in on a zip code or an address or a, a watershed and be able to see something that they recognize, the place they live or something like that. And then after that, it's uh, making that information easier to understand. So we put a score on it, we might do red, yellow, green, but we always then allow the person to drill down. Somebody might just be, you know, talking about generally, they're just really interested in a score between 70 and 100, and if they know that's in the 85 range, that's good enough for them. But other people will want to drill down and say, well, tell me how you got to a score of 85. What were all the factors that went in to creating that score? And then we can give them the ability to drill down and say, these are the things that resulted in a score being degraded. If we're talking about drinking water quality, for instance, one of the reasons why some areas might have a lower score for drinking water is because of the disinfection byproducts that are used and that might hit the upper limits that are allowed. They're maybe within the legal limits that are set because there are maximum contaminant level limits. So they may be within the legal limits, but they're bumping up the top of the limit. And disinfection byproducts can be very harmful to the health. So this drinking water might have a score of 85 for that reason. But we tell people, you can look at it, it's 85, but if you want to know why it's 85, you can drill down and see exactly where we've 
deducted points to get to that score. And to which of these GIS system do you integrate? Is it like anyone at home could then check your data because it's integrated in what they do? Or is it more for the utility and their central SCADA or whatever it is? Right now, our capabilities are not consumer facing. Although we have made data available, like drinking water data, we have made available to a strategic partner called eRepublic Group. They have mm -hmm. posted our information on their governing website so that at the state and local level, anybody could see that information. Primarily, our audiences are more enterprise customers. We're not really a consumer-facing organization at this point in time. Everything we have is built on Mapbox, but Mapbox can easily integrate with other tools. So if another customer, for instance, happens to use the Esri software, mm -hmm. uh, ArcGIS or something like that, we can integrate with them. So the ambition is to start with a hardware layer which is not yours, but which you understand and complete, Correct. build all the incredible, what you define as magic yeah. in between, which is this brain gathering the data. Mm -hmm. And then on the top of that vertical, again, integrate into whatever is existing because you don't want to compete with S3, I guess. One of the things I learned very early on in my career, one of the things that I worked hard at when I was in the Department of Environmental Protection was you don't want to create new silos of data for people. <laughs> Makes sense. Right? I mean, what we're about is eliminating the silos, bringing all the information together in one place. So we don't want to then create for one of our customers a new silo of data for them. So if we can integrate what we do into an existing system that they already have, they already have some kind of operational system, some kind of dashboard, we can certainly work with them to build what we have into their dashboard. That is a field where I think everybody would agree that there is a huge need that it brings a tremendous value. The other face of that same coin is that many companies are now exploring that field. Do you see that competition as a very good sign because it validates your yeah, thesis yeah. that there's an interest or is it a threat because yeah, it's a race? I think your question is as we look to this market around digital water and water intelligence, yeah, what does that look like? The good news is, and somebody made this comment yesterday at the conference you and I both attended, the Science Water event, this is water's moment. For far too long, people have been focused on greenhouse gas emissions and carbon tracking, but 90% of the impacts of climate change are water. And that means in the form of drought, in the form of sea level rise, riverine flooding, extreme weather events, of which we've seen over a billion dollars worth of extreme weather events in the last year here in the United States, and just this year alone in 2023. This is water's moment, and there is an emerging market for water data. There will be competitors out there because this is a, a, an emerging field. There are people who do parts of what we do, but uh, what we're doing at True Elements is pretty expansive across drinking water, surface water, groundwater, current and future. That part of it's unique, but clearly there's a, an, a market out there for water data and providing people with the information to make the best decisions. Talking what's unique, if you have to define just one special source for True Elements, what is it? We're a software as a service company. And I've been told in the last month, three people have told me who are very knowledgeable in the space What True Elements does is so unique because you're dealing with all varieties of water. You're dealing with drinking water and surface water. Most of the other companies out there, you'll see they might be dealing with other issues around extreme weather events, risk, surface water. Uh, but, but 
uh, I'm not aware of anybody that's going across the board and dealing with the full spectrum of wine. So the full spectrum, that yes. is really the killer element. When you think about it again, all water is connected. Our drinking water comes from places like this beautiful river. To not provide the full perspective on water, all kinds of water, drinking water, surface water, groundwater, right, all of it, is a little bit limiting when we want to be a water intelligence company. You mentioned software as a service, which gives me a smooth transition to your business model. Yes. So what is your business model? Our business model is we are a software as a service company. It's a very easy subscription service for any one of our capabilities. And we have different capabilities. You know, a person wouldn't have to acquire everything that we have. But um, just as importantly, our business model is we want to be strategic partners. This is not just a consumable kind of SaaS offering. This issue is far too important in terms of the future of the world and water. And we like to work in a strategic partnership with our, instead of customers, right, with our partners, so that we're really addressing the most compelling issues that they're trying to face. That might involve a little bit of custom development for them to ensure they get what they want on top of our, our SaaS subscription. But uh, we wanna make sure we're working with them to deliver exactly what they need to address the, the most compelling problems out there. I feel there's an importance of semantics here. You're not doing water digitization, you're doing water intelligence, you don't have customers, you have partners. So yeah. I, I get there's, <laughs> there's yeah. some nuances yes, here. Yeah. Can you share an example of a rollout so that we, we get how you work with these partners? Typically, like uh, most things in life, we start out on a smaller scale. We will look at when we're working with one of our partners that this is a journey for them. They're going to, no pun intended, tip their toe in the water a little bit to learn a little bit about water intelligence and how they can use it. We'll start out um, with an early implementation. I don't like to call them pilots. I think pilots have a bad connotation, but we'll start out with some early implementation for them. Here with Waterkeeper Alliance, for instance, we're starting with one of their most important areas in Milwaukee. But with other customers, we may be starting off with just doing a high level risk assessment for them, looking at all of their facilities across their portfolio and saying, here's what we determined to be a risk assessment for you. And that risk assessment will cover things like, what's the drinking water like in your location? What's the surface water like? Do you have contaminated facilities near you? Those kinds of things. And there's at least a dozen different indicators we can use. But once they have that information, then what do they need to do something with it, right? Now they have this kind of insight in terms of all their facilities. So we might drill deeper with them and we may take them further on that journey of saying, well, let's look deeper into some of these, right? Maybe if you gave us a hundred facilities, let's look at 10 of those and let's go deeper. Let's take a look at that watershed and understand really what's happening in that watershed. What do you want to do in, in terms of that watershed? Do you want to embark on a public-private partnership, a collaborative effort with people in the community to start cleaning up the watersheds, maybe start protecting and preserving it more in some way. I mean, it could be any number of things. And, and to a large degree, that's their decision, but we'll help them create the baselines for the measurement and understanding whether they're getting a return on the investment. And then we may go further with them. You know, the next part of the journey may be, we're really looking strategically as a company here or as an organization, what is the future going to hold? As we look 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, out to 2100, are we a company that can continue to operate in this part of the world if we want to deliver high quality products? 
we look at it as a journey. Some weeks ago, I had a conversation on that microphone with uh, Jennifer Muller-Gulland, an absolute powerhouse when it comes to water security, water okay. risk assessment. Uh-huh. She believes that there is a full evangelization still to do in that market mm-hmm. because yes. lots of companies are still not so much aware. I mean, they've heard of water. They don't realize yet how much of a risk it is. And so they are not yet at the stage where they yeah. spontaneously assess it. Mm-hmm. So if you give them the tools to assess how future-proof they are, because building microchips in Colorado might be at risk on the long run. When you come in, are they fully aware and then you just have to give them the tool? Yeah. Or do you have to start by, hey, you know, that is water, that is the water risk. Maybe you shall look into it and do you as well this kind of evangelization. I think like everything else in the world, you'll speak with um, leaders and companies or organizations or government entities out there, some of whom are further down the road in terms of understanding these issues. And others you have to bring along. I don't like to pigeonhole people in any one area, but I will say I do think we are just at the beginning of people starting to appreciate and understand the importance of this kind of information and intelligence to create the insights for them. I think there's a lot of room to go in the future in terms of people embracing these capabilities. Some of them, I'm not even sure that these capabilities are real today, right? Because they Mm -hmm. haven't been exposed to them. It's a little bit of a wondrous thing. If once they see it, and we've had that happen, we've had customers look and say, wow, you you can do that at that level. That's pretty amazing. They hadn't seen that before. Who are your people? I mean, yeah. who are your, not customer partners, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Is it like the super, super, super well aware which are yeah. looking for something? Or is it more like this second category with this other type of companies which are Yeah, they know they might have to do something, but they have no clue where to start. Yeah, certainly now, the conversations we're having are among the leaders in their industry. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are setting the trends. They're the ones that are paving the way in terms of recognizing as an organization, it's important to their future to, to start addressing this issue. And it might be in government, it might be in business, but they're they're the leaders. These are the people, as we say, on the tip of the spear who are are really paving the way for others. Coming back to your product, how is it called? True QI, True IQ? True Elements, Water Intelligence. We use the term True QI. True QI refers to our scores. It's a quality uh, number that we assign. So we use our True QI score, and that's where we put a score on things like drinking water and surface water. And we look at surface water from industrial area, from industrial wastewater, stormwater, and agriculture. So anytime you see a score or like an assessment risk, we call it True QI. I was wondering because QI in French is IQ in English. And I was thinking, you know, water intelligence, IQ, makes about sense but no it's qi okay and it's 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 a little it's a little spin on water intelligence but it stands for yeah you picked up on it very good you explain how your partners i'm trying to use your terminology can do some customer development and then build upon your pieces of software does that mean what you deliver is fully standard and then they do the customization or would you do the customization as well So we would work with our partners to identify where we might have some gaps in their needs. And then getting their feedback, we would fill those gaps and we would do the development work to fill those gaps. 
what that does is that enhances our platform in terms of capabilities. If we deliver something for that particular partner, but we also incorporate that into our platform going forward. So, you know, if you just think of some of the software tools you use today, like if you use the Microsoft Office Suite, the capabilities that are in Word today, probably 80% of them didn't exist 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So there will always be an evolution in our product as we add new features. Yet the difference here is that Microsoft obviously has a huge customer base, which yes. means that they can really kind of do some stats and look what is really needed. Yes. Whereas you're super dependent that you're working with the right partners right now, mm -hmm. that you don't get trapped to develop stuff for yeah. a full market of three companies yeah. when maybe there were other stuff which were needed by others. So how do you ensure that? I, well, I think that that's very fair. You know, we ask ourselves these questions. We might get some requirements from a customer and say, does it make sense for us to invest in that? Does it make sense for us to do product development in that space? Is that where we want to go with our roadmap? That's exactly the kind of decisions that have to be made internally. Talking of these resources, I guess at that stage of the development of a company, you're probably not profitable, right? Uh, that's fair to say, <laughs> yes. We are a startup, yes. So does that mean <laughs> you, you need to to get through fundraising? Do you have active plans for that? At what stage of the company are you and how do you envision the future? Yeah, we are in a series A round right now. Mm -hmm. uh, we have uh, a network of investors in Naples, Florida that have been very generous in terms of getting the company to where we are, but we are in a series A round now. The reason why I'm asking is from the profile of your investors, you will have to adapt the path of your company. <laughs> if you are backed by venture capital, you will yeah. have to go through hyper growth. If you are backed by different types of yes. money mm -hmm. and pockets of money, then you might have a bit more time yes. yeah. to, to build yeah. it up. So what is your intended path? Do you think you can take like the market by storm and go hyper yeah. growth and, and bring uh, that to the full US? This is a really important area in terms of understanding climate change and understanding water and what's happening. And it may be water's moment, but some people will tell you, you know, we've been looking for water's movement for a long time. I think it's fair to say our most important goal is to be aligned with somebody who understands this market and this mission, that we want to be mission aligned with somebody who understands the impacts of climate change and understands the seriousness of, of the conditions the world is facing. As we look to investors, we want investors who are mission aligned. That's very important to us. You mentioned very rightfully how Water's Moment has been announced several times. And we all true heartily believe that's the moment, but mm -hmm. we might still be wrong. But right. that's not my question. My yes. question is the ones which have been riding what they thought would be a wave 10 years ago yeah. now start to come back a bit to the new companies and say, you know, the challenges don't really need so much new stuff. Uh -huh. Technology exists and could solve everything. We don't need artificial intelligence because mm -hmm. we have hydraulic modeling since the 80s. Mm -hmm. We don't need a fully agnostic and bringing all the data together because we have mm -hmm. GIS systems. So it might be about time to adopt tech which is around for 15 years mm -hmm. and not push new stuff out there. Yeah. Not giving you my personal opinion <laughs> here, I'm just stating what I've heard and, and read over the past weeks, which kind of surprised me also to be, to be fair. What would be your take on that? I would simply say, we live in a world where there's constant innovation. And for those people who say, we don't need new innovation, I say, then get out of the way. <laughs> because we live in a world where there will be innovation. All we have to do is look back in history. And for people who say, it's good enough, I'd say, no, there, there are opportunities to do better. If we look in the future, 
what is the horizon at which you're projecting true elements? Is it five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? What is like the vision of the company? If you, if you, I, I think that's a little bit hard to say. I, I, I envisioned a company that'll be around 50 years from now. I'm sure it will. I won't be working there. <laughs> My question is, uh-huh. when do you want to have an impact? Because it's not, I mean, if you're just starting out, it's not realistic to think that you will have a worldwide impact in six months. But your ambition is yeah. probably to be at a certain type of impact in a certain type of time. And yeah. what is that? Well, I guess it depends on how you measure impact. I do believe- we How can, do you measure impact? I, I, well, I believe we can have an impact in the next year to, to 24 months in terms of, it might be a smaller impact, it might be individual uh, locations, but uh, hey, we're, we're in this to have an impact. That's why our founders, we have three founders who are very passionate about this uh, company and we're here to make a difference. And we're going to make a difference sooner rather than later. But if you have just one metric for impact, Uh what is it? I would like our partners to be able to say, after we worked with them, we could not have done what we did without you. That's a good one. If you look down the line, let's say 10 years, you look back, okay, over the past 10 years, we've achieved what? We have a global network of partners around the world who are using water intelligence to make the best possible decisions to protect and preserve our resources. That is a super interesting one around the world. Yes. Because bringing together the administrative mess of a country is already something. Yes. But if you start adding to that, that you need to have new layer of policies, understanding yes. of the rules of who does what right. in different countries, you really want to take the word. I know from working at Microsoft that uh, going global carries with it a great deal of complexity because of the different standards and requirements in every country. But if we really want to make a difference, yes, True Elements will be a global company in the future. There are 40 UN bodies with a mandate for water, Mm -hmm. and that's just the UN. Yeah. And then you have each country with, Mm -hmm. I mean, I can give you a a data example. uh In France, 10 years ago, they took a regulation about micropollutants mm-hmm. and, and the, the measurements of micropollutants. Mm-hmm. Micropollutants needed to be measured in the, the outlets of wasted treatment plants. And they did that for three years. And after three years, they just removed that regulation simply because they were analyzing stuff, taking the data, putting it in Excel table. That was it. They could not cope with it. Mm-hmm. It was too much data. And they had no clue what to do with right. that. So you come in and you're like, oh, now I have a data set from 20. Uh, 12 up to 2015 of micropollutants and I need to integrate that mm-hmm. into my true elements dashboard. Uh-huh. That's a crazy Sisyphus work. <laughs> How do you do that? Well, we're not doing that. Historically, and I've been involved in environmental information for many, 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 many years, it is not unusual for people to collect vast amounts of data and never analyze that data. One of the busy- biggest examples was years ago when I did uh, some smart city work was every building that gets built today has an incredible system of sensors in it, right? And a tremendous amount of data. And it was always shocking to me how much data were collected about buildings and building performance that no one ever looked at. So the situation described is not at all unusual. The trick is, that was my point in the beginning when I talked about the tale of two data worlds. Sometimes there's just too much data out there. It's overwhelming for people. And we, that's our mission, is to make it not overwhelming for people, to find the data that's useful out there, to put it in one place, but more specifically, it's not about the data. It's about creating the water intelligence that allows them to have insights for decision-making. So it's the forecasting, it's the analysis, it's the scoring. That's what's critical. 
If those, if somebody had figured out how to do that back then in the situation you were talking about, those microplastics, they'd still be collecting that data today. And it would be useful probably. Very and true. maybe there'd be a reduction in microplastics. Very true. Yeah. There are like <laughs> dozens of segues yes. that could open from there, but I need to be cautious for time. So yes, I propose you to you. switch to the rapid fire questions to, to round it off. It's time for the rapid fire questions. What is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? We're sitting right here in Waterkeeper Alliance. And I'm just going to say, I, I think that is the most exciting one because going back to the discussion we had earlier, they have almost 350 chapters around the world. And the ability to work with volunteers, people who are volunteering out in their community, their local community, and have this desire to make a difference. That to me is very exciting. What's the thing that you learned the hard way? You have to connect the dots for people. We could have the greatest platform out there, but if we don't start connecting the dots for people in terms of this is how you actually use it and started creating some products. If you go to our website today, you'll see we have sort of product categories. And we had to do that because not enough people knew how to connect the dots between all this. Even though we made it easy, we still had to make it even easier. You have to make it as easy as possible and connect the dots to a very specific application or use. Is there something you're doing in your job today that you won't be doing in 10 years? I won't be doing this job in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Fair one. There we go. Yeah. What is the trends to watch out for in the water industry? You know, we just spent a whole day talking about this yesterday. But I think, I think the biggest trend has to be This is an industry that is getting so complex. If you look back on the history of water, people drilled a well and they took water out of the ground and they used it. They used it to drink and cook and bathe and right, right, that was it. We're dealing with such complex issues today in terms of drinking water quality and surface water quality, the impacts it has on human health, availability of it, even if it's available, is it quality water? The trend is going to be, this is an industry that will just get more and more sophisticated even though it hasn't been sophisticated in the past in terms of the use of technology. I agree fully. <laughs> <laughs> If I instantly became your assistant, so you have the opportunity to delegate yeah. whatever you want to me, what is the first thing you would delegate knowing that I never said I would do it? I would love to have one conversation on my calendar every day for an hour with somebody who is an expert in their field. So I would ask as an assistant to find me Who are the most influential people in their spaces and get me an hour conversation so that every day I could have a one hour conversation with somebody and pick their brain and learn. That's a very good one. I would have two, two, two follow up on that one. The first is yeah. you should start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that was my trick to speak one hour with people, which There is super go, interesting, yeah. uh -huh. see what we're doing. And, and the second is you should listen to my podcast because then you cannot ask the question yourself, but you can pick the answers. So I will yeah. do that. that it is on my list shameless now. plug. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. We have somebody, someone that you would recommend me to invite on that microphone as soon as possible. Yes, I would recommend Mark Yagi, who is the uh, CEO for Water uh, Waterkeeper Alliance. Good He's one. been involved in this uh, space for many decades and has a fabulous perspective that I think your listeners would enjoy. Kim, it's been a pleasure to explore yes. True Elements and your path in that packed hour. I will leave you to your next endeavors in Great. New York's buoyant climate week. Yes. And thank you very much. Thank you, Antoine. It's been a pleasure. Love chatting. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? 
head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.